welcome to Destination Leadership, the podcast for people interested in diving into the worlds of inspiring leaders to learn from them. I'm your host, Katrin Grunwald, founder of The Globe Team, organizational development consultant, and coach for first-time leaders. My guest today is Nicolas Deville. Nicolas is the founder of OfficeBots.io, a completely remote startup. We'll talk about his learnings when setting up completely remote companies with employees spread around the world, collaborating mainly virtually together. And we'll also talk about the title of this podcast, Taking Care of Your Team, whether they are remote or live with you in an office. Nicolas shares very specific examples of how he used, um, for instance, walking meetings to find out more about what's driving his team members. We'll also talk about the importance as a leader to have a clear vision and enabling team members to find their contribution to that vision in order to create even stronger engagement. One of Nicolas' main drivers is learning and mine as well. Therefore, we'll talk about his love for books and how he encouraged to spread learning within his team. This recording is a bit different than the others, as you might hear some background noises, and due to a cold, my voice is also a bit different than normally. But hopefully that will not be an issue for you to focus and benefit from Nicolas' story. So enjoy the conversation. Hello and welcome to Destination Leadership. Today I'm sitting here in my office in Munich and opposite of me is Nicolas Deville. So welcome Nicolas to the podcast. Thank you, thanks for having me. We will talk about also why people recommended him as an inspiring leader and also what he thinks of himself um, as an inspiring leader. And I would like to ask you to introduce yourself shortly and especially also what kind of teams have you been leading? Yep. So again, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Nicolas Deville. I'm French originally, half French, half Austrian. Um, My background is really in sales. I started in sales, um, sales career, um, and that's where really my also leadership experience uh, came from at the beginning, um, leading sales teams. Um, and I then um, moved to Munich um, a year ago. Um, but yeah, so my, my, my leadership um, experience um, spanned um, sales team, and then I moved into more executive roles um, and having teams from customer success, marketing, um, up to 35 people um, and then I started, started my own uh, business, my own startup um, and that was an entirely remote company um, so I believe we will talk about that too um, and yeah now I'm starting now my second startup um, after having sold the first one. Great, yes there are many things in there in your own story that I think can be interesting for listeners so let's dive right in. And let's start with your very first team. Yep. Where was that? What kind of situation? And how was it for you to lead your first team? Yep. So the, the first team um, that I would really properly call a proper team was uh, back in London. Um, I was working for a company called On24, um, working in sales um, and building the business in Europe um, for that company that was headquartered in San Francisco. Um, and it was um, starting just with hiring one salesperson to work for me and help me build the business here in Europe. 
um, and then it kind of went on from there and yeah built up quite a sizable sales team and then added also then other functions to my remit um, other again customer success uh, in the early days in the 20 early 2010s when customer success was still kind of nascent um, production and, and other other functions within the business that we needed to um, here operate in Europe um, and well maybe to dive straight into the learnings um, I think what, what I learned very quickly at the very beginning is the, the art of delegation, I think, is, is the first thing, uh, where you're used as, a, as an individual contributor to do everything yourself. Um, and then you have to learn that when you delegate a task um, to someone, it won't be done like you would do it, right? So it's, um, that part, I think, is, um, is, was, was a learning curve. Um, so understanding that the things will be done differently. Differently does not mean badly, it means just differently. And it's learning basically how to, um, and so the second part is really learning that everyone um, is almost requires to be managed in a different way. Um, everyone has different goals and drivers and, and all these things. So it's really learn, learning that was the, I think the first yeah, founding blocks of of my leadership experience. Mm. I I really resonate with that because it's something we talk about in um, when I work with first-time leaders that actually as kind of well <laughs> shocking maybe sometimes it sounds that the leadership style is not just about how would you like to lead people but it's about the team members yes. and how would they like and need yes. to be led with what kind of style in order to be most effective? Indeed. Well, I think you, you nailed it, right? It's, it's for me. It's it's. Well, it's all. I think that probably also come from the sales background, where when you when you're in sales, I always one of the key foundation for me in sales is to try to put myself in the other one's shoes, mm -hmm. right? In the prospect's shoes. Yeah, absolutely. What would I want to hear or see or get to buy from me, right? Um, and I think with, with leadership, it's, it's the same, right? So the, the way I see it is I want to lead the way I would like to be led. Um, and, but again, the way I would like to be led is different from how others would like to be led. And that's also so back to the first learning, right? It's really understanding everyone's goals and drivers and persona so that you can slide. It doesn't mean that you have to, to be extremely completely different from one to the other, but it's, it's really ad adapting your style um, and, and what you need to do with that person to provide, to help, to support, uh, depending on that person's need, basically. Um, maybe if I can just also extend that, 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 that answer, one, one thing that I've learned to, to do is whenever hiring someone or getting someone in, in, in the team, um, for me, what's really critical is to spend some time with that person, um, understanding that person. So it's, and it's not in a meeting room that that happens usually. Um, my favorite, favorite way is always walking meetings. I love walking meetings. Um, I did that a lot. So all the one-to-ones or most of the one-to-ones I used to do um, walking. So you just go out of the office and you walk or just have a coffee. Uh, but again, walking is my, is my, my preferred way. Um, and usually what happens, I find, is that you, you can get way more out of the people than in a meeting room. In a meeting room, you have that divide between, you know, employee, manager, leader, team, whatever. But when you're outside, there's kind of more freedom, I find, and more openness. And I think also the, the walking meeting, for me, is, is, I think it's, you're not looking at each other constantly all the time where, 
especially if you are a new hire, uh, someone new to the team and I'm going to be your manager, boss, leader, whatever. Um, there is that constant kind of thinking consciously or consciously or unconsciously about how do I behave, you know, I, I, I need to smile, I need to be there. But when you're walking, you basically both look, well, you can look a bit at each other, but basically you all, you both look basically forward. So there's way less of, I think, of that stress of having to act a certain way and more focusing on, on what you're saying. And, and the, out, the outcome here is really to understand what drives that person, what, 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 is the, what are that person's um, goal, do they want to be, where do, you, where do they want to be in three years, five years? Um, perhaps they don't know, a lot of people actually don't know. Um, so it's also kind of helping them on that path, asking the right questions, trying to, to understand the, um, the um, yes, the, uh, the path that that person could take, the potential, that's probably the best, the best word, the potential of that person, um, and, and sort of agree basically on a plan of, how can we work together? How can I help that person succeed on that path and and grow as a person? But 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 that leads back to um, to what I think is one of the fundamentals of, of a leader, which is for me it's it's about taking care of your team. And you hear a lot these days, especially more than five or ten years ago, about caring and how caring is important. I personally do make a distinction between caring and taking care. Mm -hmm. What would that be? The, the dis distinction is like I'm, I'm, I'm not. Well, I myself, I'm an introvert naturally, um, and not very social. Um, I don't drink alcohol, so that kind of takes maybe a lot of the fun out of kind of going out and socializing events and all that. Um, my point is, I'm. I'm not really good at, at caring in the way of knowing a spouse's name or birthday dates or kids' names or, you know, whether... So, so that part of caring, I'm not really good about. Um, but I am 100% about, you know, if someone joins my team, I'm going to take care of that person, right? And take, taking care means, again, ensuring that that person achieves their goals, their objectives, are happy in their job, are doing their best. And that's a fine balance also between a leader and a manager, which I, uh, I, I see as, as different. It's two different... I've worked with great leaders that are bad managers and great managers that were bad leaders. Um, but, but that's a fine line between the, the leader and the manager, I think, who needs to care or take care of the person in a way where you get the best out of that person without getting them over the limit, if that makes sense. What were things that helped you? Because you mentioned now that you, by well, taking care, developing people, yep. you help them to grow. Yes. Um, what is it that helped you to grow when you were leading your first team? Was it um, examples of leaders you worked with in the past or how was it for you? Yep, so it's a good question. Um, for me, it's a, it's a, well, like always, but it's a, it's a mixture of different things. Um, again, learning for me is my, I would define it as my primary drive, like learning and having new experiences. And the learning I get basically from examples of both good and bad leaders and managers. 
um, because I think you can learn almost as much from both, right? So, I mean, I had bad leaders, clearly, and bad managers, like everyone. Like right? everyone. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm also thankful and grateful for these experiences because they have shown me what not to do, right? And so when you, see, when you are being led in the wrong way and you, it creates those feelings and it creates those, those experiences, and basically it's all that kind of mental notes that you're taking about, well, when I'm going to be in that position, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to do that instead. So it's a lot of obviously um, like osmosis learning. Yeah, uh, and, on, on but side. it gives you also a kind of direction. Yes. When I think it can be very strong when you know this is not the kind of behavior Indeed. I want to Indeed. show with my team members. Indeed. So, so, so that's that's one part. And the second part is I'm I'm very very big on on reading. I do read a lot. Um, books mainly books and blogs and and podcasts. Last few years, obviously <laughs> a lot. Um, but yeah, so at the time, so like 10, 15 years ago, it was, it was yeah, books, so osmosis learning and, and reading. Things like all the theory of it, like the um, Harvard Business Review books on leadership, for instance. Um, but down to, I read a lot also of, on, on biographies of entrepreneurs and leaders, uh, because you can learn a lot. I, I love books because books are basically a summary of, of someone that really of, of their learnings that they really took the time to craft I think in those day and age of um, blogs and, and podcasts there's a lot of content that's good but it's also a bit more because it's so easy to create blogs and podcasts and even now self-publish you know small books um, yeah, it's a bit more. You need a bit more filtering of the good and the bad, and it's, sometimes it's, it's not, not not that easy. But a book usually, and a published book, has gone through a lot of work by a lot of people, publishers, all that, to ensure that you get a, a distillation of the learnings. Um, so yeah, books. What are books that you can recommend to first-time leaders, for example? So on leadership specifically, um, I think I'll boil it down really to well just. From what I can remember, again, that yes, was a, it's a long time ago, yeah, yeah, a decade or more ago. But it was um, uh, I remember that that um, Harvard Business Review, so HBR um, mm -hmm. on leadership, uh, was good, um, and then yeah, biographies on leadership specifically, right? I mean, I, I've I've read on a lot of different topics, but on leadership, it's it's learning also and reading about how others um, have done it, and. Even if you read a book, if you when you read a biography, also you get a lot of ascent. You can read through the lines mm -hmm. sometimes, right? So because they might not talk about how they led people specifically, but you you understand through their explanation of how things went, how did they manage yeah. that, right? So and also sometimes I find when people share about their values, yes. what's important to them, those are also great learning opportunities to think for oneself. Okay, if someone has this value, how can it be shown through behavior? Yes. And what does it mean for me? Yes. And I think it's a good segue, what you just said is a very good segue to another characteristic, I think, that that was key to my um, my, my results so far has been um, I have very clear values and ethics and for me doing the right thing is critical and it's then everyone has their way of thinking what the right thing is right but I've, uh, and I think my team at the time well before on 24 or even later at Converse um, knew that like I was always trying to make the right decision and, and do right by, by, by people and by things and like not putting and that might not sound good or great for 
maybe many people, I don't know, but um, not putting the business result at all cost above every above everything else. Like if it if it need if it means compromising on my values or my ethics to achieve a goal, I probably mm -hmm. won't go there. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah. it's about drawing a line and being sort of clear about I'm not going to do that. Right. Because that's kind of a, a, a you know dark black move, something that yeah. know, I shouldn't go. Do you have a specific example, Nicola, for that? Um, I think in the sales in, in the sales world, especially maybe where there there can be sometimes. Um, do I, can I think about a, a specific one? Um, but sometimes you can do things that are, I wouldn't say shady, but kind of not not kind of um, beat like under like especially within an organization and you manage a sales team and there are other sales teams that handle other regions, right? So for me, it's always about kind of it's not us against them. We're all part of the same organization, right? So yes, there are ways where we could close that deal, for instance, and not tell it to the other ones and kind of take it. It shouldn't really be ours, but we've got the lead. No, the right thing to do is to actually then share that with the team who should be in charge of that lead, but for whatever reason, it fell under our remit. Um, even if it means in the end, worst case, losing the opportunity completely to that team and, and, and the revenue, uh, best case, potentially just, just sharing the revenue between between the two teams, but that's doing the right thing. Rather than kind of, you know, let's just keep it in the shadows and get all the revenue for us and, you know, it's not quite right, but, you know, and in sales especially, that's, that's sort of a behavior that comes quite often naturally uh, because of that, well, depending on the Oh, the competitive, the yeah, 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 exactly. But it's nature, very competitive, yeah. right? Very, um, and and that's one of the examples maybe mm -hmm. where where I, I drew a clear line, and yeah. it's about doing the right thing because doing the right thing in the long term will always pay off. Yeah, I think. Talking about the long term, let's move on from yeah. your first team yes. that grew from like one to uh, thirty people, and also it was a team where I understood most of the people were based in London with you. So in the same surroundings, you could do the walking meetings. Yes. But then I know that the team grew um, to other countries. And um, what I'm really curious to find out more is not just leading remote teams, yep. but you actually set up completely remote companies. Yes. So what can you share about your learnings there? Yes, quite a bit to unpack there. Um, so on, on the first part of the question, um, um, so yes, my my team experience and leadership experience started with everyone in the same office, uh, which makes it easy for, for walk-ins all that. And then grew into, we, we acquired, for instance, a company in Spain um, while I was still in, in London. Um, but I would say the same principles apply in the sense that one of the critical thing, which, which I did, was so you travel there at the beginning and you do the same thing. You do walk-in meetings, uh, walking meetings with everyone in the team there locally to have that face-to-face -face time and that understanding of okay how you know what does that person want how will, will that person do their best in their role um, how can I support that person help that person sometimes also it's about um, digressing maybe but it's, it's about a person might be on a path but by actually having those deep discussions you can feel that that person would be actually better suited for another role and that happens actually where someone in sales basically clearly was for me a better 
candidate or suitable for marketing type role. Um, and that's a, a switch that we did successfully in the end um, of, of that person. Anyway, so the point is, even if it's remote, um, especially like if it's an organization where you can travel, yeah, travel as at the beginning, meet everyone, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, walking, whatever, not not meeting room type, type discussions. Um, after that, on an ongoing basis, I'm also very... I do talk quite a bit, which probably comes, come, <laughs> well, comes that comes with people being invited to podcast. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, for once it's good. Um, but it's um, it's I'm always a proponent, especially with with remote people, of over communicating rather than under communicating. Right. So um, it's it's communicate as often as possible, um, even if it's repeating the same things. Um, but for, for someone who works remotely and a bit isolated, I, I would say, um, they, they, those people can't really soak in all of the what's happening when you're in the office, right? Even if they are in meetings or that, but you can soak in the what's happening, you hear things, water cool discussions, all that, right? So very important to over-communicate is, is, is one thing. So and, and things like, at minima, I would say, weekly, um, weekly email, um, that kind of you know, shout out to some people who've done a good job, kind of create that kind of team also um, um, cohesion and as a bit of cultural layer if you want, but also kind of progress and where we are with the goals and, and all that. One step back actually, um, when I say over communicating, the first step even before that, and I think that's one key thing with leaders, um, is artic- being able to articulate a clear vision of where the company or the team needs to be, right? And everyone be very clear. And, and that, that part, the articulating of, and not, these days it's all about like the mission, right? And I think mission is good, but mission is very broad, right? It's kind of, we, tr- we try to help the world do that. Yeah, okay, that's fine, but that's very broad, right? So, but a, a vision of where do we want the company to be in 12 months time or three years time, whatever. And be very clear about that because that also kind of emp- and empowering people to make decisions on a, on, a, on a daily basis, especially when they're remote, if they know exactly where we want to go, then they can make hopefully the right decisions to go there because they know where we are going together as, as a team. Yeah, it sounds like the, um, from your experience, the, real, the clarity, like yes. showing people yes. what's on your mind, bringing them on board, yes. having this clear a goal and vision yes. that helps people then when they are on their remote sites yes. to take decisions accordingly and exactly. work their best. Exactly. And, and trans- transparency is key. Um, um, so clarity and then as you go, transparency about where we are and what we are doing well, what we're not doing well. Um, Sorry to interrupt yeah, there, yeah. but how do you do it pragmatically? Really, what kind of tools do you use, especially also in, in really... I know that you set up remote companies from yes. scratch. Yes. So what are things that are important for you there at the very beginning when it comes to tools and, and culture and team yes. spirit? Yes. Um, so I'm not even sure where to start on, on, on that point. Uh, I mean, the tools is more the tactical um, mm-hmm. side of things. And if we tackle that, Quickly, I mean, for me, tools. Right, I mean, for years now, but it's been Slack, for instance, and uh, Notion these days. Um, those are my two favorite tools right now to really organize. And 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 Slack is. I think a lot of people who haven't used Slack extensively are not really. Uh, 
understanding the power it can bring uh, versus just email that used to be mm -hmm. you know, the, the case for internal communication. Um, and, and Slack is a, is a very powerful communication tool. But like, I can give you an example. There was a, one company I joined after on 24 that was using Slack. And it was mostly used by engineers um, in, in the organization, not the entire organization that much. And even then, it wasn't really properly leveraged in, in the way it... So even I wasn't really using it properly and, and well, and I didn't really see the appeal. Why is everyone talking about Slack? It's not that great. But then when I, when I set up my own re company, I, I want to follow the model of companies like Zapier and GitLab and, um, and Buffer. And if you actually you know, search, use your favorite search engine to, uh, to, 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 look after, to, to look for remote work in Buffer or GitLab or Zapier, all these companies put out a lot of content out there about how to set up and how to manage remote teams. And they've grown to hundreds of employees entirely remote. Um, and so good playbooks to, to read, back to the reading, uh, de 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 definitely. Um, but the, the, the point was that, so you have to use the tool, but you have also to understand how to use the tools to the best of their potential and the best of their features. Yeah, it's, in the end, it's just a tool that supports exactly. you in, in creating a culture, creating exactly. the results. Exactly. So the tools are not a magic bullet. They are a requirement, I think, to, to manage properly remotely. Um, but 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 they are just a tool, right? Um, the and we we we're back to I mean, be that Convolus or or now at Office Bots, both 100% remote. Um, I start actually by hiring people very quickly, um, especially with platforms now these days like Upwork and and others where you can actually hire some a freelancer uh, to start with. You hire people very quickly and you start working very quickly because what I found out also, and that was also experience at, at on 24, you can go and jump through hoops in, in a, you know, long interview processes and not really get a proper sense of how the person will be when they actually start working. I've seen, in my experience, and I've interviewed a lot in the, in the past, I've seen everything from people doing really well in the interviews and actually not that well in the job and vice versa, right? So I'm not a really big believer in, in kind of complex, arduous, long interview processes just to let's be very sure that it's the right person. You can't. Let's just start working and that's how you'll see if you can really work together. So start working. Um, um, how does that look in, for example, officebots.io yep. in like your current company that you recently set up? Yep. Um, what were first steps you took to get your remote team, maybe first of all freelancers, up yep. and running? Yeah. So what I do is, is I... I outline the role basically and, and what the the goal the, the role will entail um, but then I, I hire that person with the with the, um, an overview of that role but I hire that person just for a small task right and and again that's the good thing with the gig economy freelancer platform that might uh, it's a bit different maybe for, for a lot of cooperation but you hire that person for for that one small task and and for me that's the interview process that's basically we start working together on that small task um, I mean, I put out the job, I get, I get a, a reply, and then you see already from the reply, so you can filter out. I mean, there's a, a couple of steps, but it's very quick. Hire the person, start working, and very quickly, you see the quality of the deliverable, you see the communication, um, and, and that will then inform very quickly if, if I can feel that person to be a good, good fit. And, and then you go then one step deeper, where once you identify, okay, that's a person I want to work long-term, um, then it's really about that kind of getting to know what that person wants and back to kind of the normal yeah. things that I, I outlined um, uh, before. 
Um, and the taking care, again, especially remotely, I think, and especially in that kind of gig economy world where, where a lot of, of people are maybe treated not well. In your team right now, how yep. many people around the world are working for you? And how is that um, based? Like what were learnings that you yes. put in with this new company, new chance yes. <laughs> to, that you put in place now that are learnings from the past when you already let your first remote company? I mean, I think right so OfficeBots right now, it's um, still in the early stages. Um, so it's a um, couple couple of people besides me, um, Canada, um, Germany actually, also someone else, um, uh, and Eastern Europe, um, so through yeah, a couple of people. Um, on, on, on that front, on, on how to build a remote team, I'm basically with OfficeBots really reapplying what I've done before at Convolus. That worked well with Convolus. At Convolus, at some point, at the highest point, we had 22 um, uh, but again, 22 not full-time employees. That's again based on the on that model of um, freelancers, basically. So some of those 22 were just working an hour or two a month, just you know, design work, whatever. Um, and out of the 22, we had only three full-time, basically. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, that whole model of, of building a remote company, I think, solves a lot of the challenges that people have with commute time and access to opportunities and. And, and so I think the remote working model solves a lot of issues or challenges for society and for people helping find their balance, um, work-life balance, however you want to call that. Um, it brings some downsides. Um, one of the downsides being that you don't see each other face-to-face -face, you know, um, a lot. The way to solve that, but I haven't gotten there yet, especially with, with, with office bots, but um, I think Buffer, I think, uh, I think it was Buffer who... Um, uh, mentioned that first for me like years ago, but they were saying rather than spending X amount of money on, on an office um, What they do is everyone's remote and they basically I think it's like one-third of the budget They would spend on an office they used to gather the entire team once a quarter You know in one time in Madrid and the next time in Miami and the next time in Paris, right? Um, where you have like three days of, of team bonding and workshops and people to, uh, to just you know, once a quarter so from a budget perspective, it's still, you know... Two yeah, three, less two than an today. office, yeah, yeah. but way, the, way, the way human cheaper. side is still covered. Exactly. So you have that regular human side connecting, bonding, syncing up, clarifying maybe yeah. some uh, frustrations that have built up over the quarter. Um, but then on a daily basis, everyone's free to work basically when they want and how they want and and all that. So, um, yeah, I, I do strongly believe, I think no, mo no model is perfect. There's no kind of, that's a perfect model. Uh, but I am a strong believer myself in the building company remotely from day one. That's also a difference. I think the migrating a company that has been traditional into a, okay, now let's work from home, that has, I think, it has a lot of challenges. It's a cultural change. It is a cultural change. So, exactly. yeah, your exactly. culture is right away from the beginning. Exactly enabling people to work uh, from different parts of the world. Um, I would like to come, Nicolette, to uh, a point we already a little bit touched on, and which is about learning, because I know that's yes. a main driver of yours. Indeed. And this is also um, part of the podcast, or one of the reasons why I always um, highlight that it's not just about giving and taking care of your teams, but yep. also for yourself. Yep. And um, 
learning as a motivation to further develop. Yes. And you mentioned that books are one of your passion and one of your learnings. But I also know that you have been mentoring quite a lot of people, which is also a, a learning or a kind of giving back experience. Yes. So for those listeners out there who are thinking, oh, how can I become a mentor or what's important in being a good mentor? What kind of lessons learned do you have from your thinking side? about it now? Um, I do ask a lot of questions, um, always. Uh, again, maybe sales background, maybe just natural curiosity. But I do ask a lot of questions. Sometimes I ask questions about things that I know already, um, just to understand that person's kind of viewpoint on that, and that feeds my own understanding of, hey, here's another viewpoint on that. Um, and, and just by asking questions, you, I mean, things like, hey, why are you doing that? Why, why are you doing this job? Like, what got you into sales in the first place? Or, you know, and just by asking questions in a conversation, you, you, I'll pick up on, on, on things where, hmm, there's maybe a disconnect here or there's something maybe I can dig deeper into. So, so the, the mentoring sort of me mentoring someone um, in some cases happened organically, I would say. Um, in some other cases, it was more kind of. A, I was a mentor um, at Wera um, in um, London, uh, for instance, of, uh, for for a bit, not not for long, but but I love that too. That was diving into someone. I think. So you were mentoring young startups for yes, the yes. ones yeah. um, on the sales side, especially like mm -hmm. uh, how to sell to enterprises when you're a, big, a small startup, um, especially on that front. Um, but then also a couple of people were kind of. Uh, new in kind of hey now I'm the co-founder I need to assume sales I've never done sales before you know how do I start so done a bit of mentoring also on, on that type of persona if you want um, I, I do uh, for, for me it's it's the mentoring bit it's it's giving back um, because I wish I didn't have that a lot I have to say maybe I didn't sort it maybe the right way or maybe I was a bit too I don't know shelved um, you know when I was younger I don't know but I didn't get that right um, that much and so I'm doing what I would have liked to have when, when, when I was younger so giving back is important but also for me it's 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 intellectual stimulation to kind of it's almost like I see everything as a um, a, a challenge a game uh, problem well, problem sounds negative right but kind of something that I can maybe solve right um, so mentoring is, is part of that right is okay here's a challenge, problem, game, whatever, and let me try to help and, 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 and solve that. Does that answer the question? Yeah, I think, yeah. You know, I think it's a, um, interesting to see what drives people when, when they mentor others, because it's a great opportunity to give get back and learn at yes, the same time. Yes. Is, what else is there in the area of learning that um, you'd like to share with listeners because it has a positive impact on you? Or I remember when we talked um, before about you setting up a kind of book club Yes. in your company what are things what made you set up a book club <laughs> well the, uh, i know that uh, like reading is not the immediate i mean lots of people know that reading is good and oh i should read books more books but then i don't get to it and so so the book club was um uh so i had that managing a, a leading a sales team um and and it was i can remember also when i was younger that I always loved books, but but sometimes like buying a books like 20 euros, 30 euros, oh, so I don't want to spend that, right? But ultimately, I've learned that that whatever the price of a book is, it's worth it, right? It's because it's kind of again, it's that 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 that's um, distillation of knowledge in 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 a compact form that kind of. It's, it's priceless almost, right? A lot of books for me are, are sort of priceless. And so I want to remove the, um, in my team at the time, kind of that potential, 
Uh, I'm not sure if I'll spend 20 or 30 euros on a book or 10, whatever. So I just, I just said, okay, wh whoever wants to buy a business book, right, or loosely business-related, like, you know, growth-type book that can help you uh, uh, grow, you can expense it, right? It's company, whatever the book, I don't care, but so you just buy it and you expense it. And the only thing in return is during our Monday morning meetings, team meetings, um, you report about it. it just sounds bad not report but you you, you, you share your you share, learnings exactly you share your learnings you know just a few minutes so don't just make it overboard but just just because that helps the person a so they get the book for free they learn they but they know they know they have to share about it so it, it forces them to actively read and then having them to distill okay what did i learn from that what are the three takeaways from that book and, and that then shared with the team so the other ones can, can, can benefit from it. So again, book club is maybe a big, big word, but it's sort of that, <laughs> that trying to emphasize and, and, and foster that constant learning um, uh, via books is. We have come to the end okay. nearly already of our conversation on Just your- getting started. Uh, of your, your leadership experience. And the last question I always ask is an imaginary one. So imagine, you have the wonderful power of for one day to make sure that leaders around the world show a certain kind of leadership behavior. What kind of behavior would that be? I think I'll, I'll bring that back to one of my fundamentals, or what I think should be a fundamental, which is the, the taking care um, in the sense of uh, and again, it's it's not the caring of they need to know my wife's name, kid's name, all that. But but the I think you create a followership by combining a vision where people okay, I want to be part of the adventure. I want to build a world where that exists. I want to to go there with you. But then combined with I know that if I follow you, um, I'll be taken care of. Right? My my as a, as a person but it doesn't have to be individual but, but I, I'll grow as a person I'll be a at the end of the journey I'll be a better person than when I when, when I started so the the taking care I think is is and and yeah in this world right now is kind of uh, needed thank you very much Nicola my pleasure for this interesting conversation this was destination leadership the podcast with inspiring leaders. I'm curious to hear what is it from this interview that you take away that has inspired you? Write to me via Instagram, Twitter, or get in touch via LinkedIn, all under my name, Katrin Hunwald. Also, if you have any feedbacks on the podcast or suggestions of leaders that have left a positive mark on you and you'd like others around the world to hear this inspiration too. I look forward to welcoming you again on the next episode of Destination Leadership.